Namaste. That means hello in Hindi and is a shout out to all my listeners in India. The rest of the pod will be in English because I'm monolingual. And I'm Oren Moore, and this is Two Poems Read and Heard, where I seek to invoke the woe-wow within via two poems built around a theme. If this pod moves you in a good way, please share it with others so it may do the same for them. And if you like the vibe of this pod, you're probably going to like my poetry collection coming out in 2022 titled Broetry, Poetry for the Well-Endowed Man. Last episode's theme was Lineage and had a poem in it titled Axe Handles. This foreshadowed this episode's theme. I like history, hashtag lifelong learner. And one thing that's clear is that we used to fight in war on the regular. Different kingdoms fighting again and again, conquerors conquering until they could conquer no more or died. It's just how we got down. And it looks to be that hunter-gatherers also used to like to fight a lot, with many more men back then dying violent deaths than now. Like tribes were just full of likes-to-fight guy. You know that guy, he's at the bar and he's actually looking for a fight in a non-ironic way. However, unfortunately then, war, clearly, is in the lineages of us. The theme today is war. And I mean actual war. Not the war on cancer, or the war on obesity, or the war on racism, or the war on insert something that's not a war. War involves violence and aggression, not researching human cancer cells, or eating and moving in a more healthy way, or getting people to not be prejudiced. Prejudice, by the way, is so second millennium AD. Come on, people, let's move on. War is one of the most intense, extreme, and dramatic things one can experience. The closest I've been to war is cycling busy streets with heavy metal cars vectoring around me. It's real, really real, and somewhat dangerous, and I wear a helmet, but it's not war. I venture to say that war is almost one of those things where it is appropriate to actually say you had to be there. Instead of simply using that phrase because you're too lazy or unskillful to tell the story you probably shouldn't have started. If I had to be there, why are you telling me about it? I wasn't there. And so I tread lightly on the topic and go straight to an actual poet-warrior himself for the goods. Our first poem today is by the Scotsman Charles Sorley, and is titled, When You See Millions of the Mouthless Dead. The poem was found on the poet's person after his death by enemy gunshot wound in northern France in the fall of 1915. It was untitled, and so the first line was used as the title. This is known as an insipid. I just learned this, and now you probably did too. The poem also goes by the name The Army of Death, and it is thought to be a response to another famous and more romantic World War I poem titled The Soldier by Rupert Brooke. When you see millions of the mouthless dead. When you see millions of the mouthless dead across your dreams in pale battalions go, say not soft things as other men have said that you'll remember, for you need not so. Give them not praise, for, death, how should they know? It is not curses heaped on each gashed head, nor tears. Their blind eyes see not your tears flow, nor honor. It is easy to be dead. Say only this, they are dead. Then add thereto, yet many a better one has died before. Then, scanning all the overcrowded mass, should you perceive one face that you loved heretofore, it is a spook. No one wears the face you knew. 
great death has made all his forevermore. My mind loves to feast on military history. I've listened to the entire Hardcore History podcast series. It's all about war and such. The host Dan Carlin did over 10 hours on World War I alone, and I wanted more. I've watched every good war movie on Netflix. Yes, every one. Trust me, I checked them all. I'm not proud of this. I mention it to make the point that for many of us, especially us bros, war is fascinating, and it makes sense why. The drama, the action, the stakes that cannot be raised any higher, the chance for bravery and glory. But this is largely in the abstract and from afar, and it is just this attitude and romantics perspective that this poem pushes back against. The poem opens with a clear A-B-A-B rhyme scheme that lends a pleasant and pleasing pattern and sound. But this is a feint with regards to both the poem's structure and takeaway, for this is not a poem about the glory of war. It is instead a refutation of such sentimentality and strikes and turns this reader crooked as its rhyme screen falls apart and any hope for a heartwarming end goes by the wayside. It faints too in its long, opening four-line sentence, all wavy and smooth, before changing to short and matter-of-fact sentences, as if the poet, through his words and style, wants to take us by the shoulders, look us in the eye, and set us straight by laying it plain. The following quote is short, but also four full sentences, quote, nor tears, their blind eyes see not your tears flow, nor honor, it is easy to be dead. This gave me the woe-wow that I'm always in search of when reading and writing poetry, but it is a woe-wow of the chilling kind. I can imagine the poet in some cold and muddy ditch in France, scribbling and thinking that all those who haven't been to war need to snap out of it and stop giving themselves a pass with some BS hogwash thought that makes them feel better about war. They think the true face of war is some man filled with camaraderie and courage. In fact, war's true face is millions of the mouthless dead. For the poet, there is nothing positive or affirmative in his death and those of the other soldiers. No gloss to put on it, especially a war like World War I, so heedless and stupid. Which reminds me of the Second Gulf War and the 20-year occupation of Afghanistan by the USA because terrorism and some dude named Bin Laden. Don't get me started, but only because I'm trying to keep the podcast short and poetry-focused and not yell into the mic. And just so we're clear, I'm no pacifist. I'm against stupid and unwarranted war. And maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, I know war is bad and water is wet, but you know and feel water is wet on the daily, literally, unless your life is drier than a drought in the Sahara Desert, which would mean you've got more important things to do than listen to this cognitively high-end podcast. Get some water, stat. But war? It's been 80 years since the last major war. You have one guess as to the name of that war. Pause this if you need to think about it. If you have to pause, go look up World War II. Yeah, so the threat of sudden annihilation of the Earth via nuclear war has cooled things off since then in terms of hot wars. This is good but comes with dangers besides the obvious one of possible Armageddon via nuclear war. The other danger is in forgetting. If you are convinced and believe in the cyclical Strauss-Howe generational theory that observes a four-generation, 80-year cycle of the rise and fall of societies, then you would believe that we are due for another major war and upheaval soon. See 80 years each between World War II, the Civil War, and the American Revolution to start. 
The theory is in part based on the fact that 80 years after a major cataclysm, there's no one left who remembers it because, yeah, they're all dead. They all knew that war wasn't something you wanted to mess with. Us? Many of us now claim it's violence when someone addresses them by the wrong pronoun or that silence is violence. No, silence is silence. Let's hope we can break the cycle. In small part, perhaps via poems like when you see millions of the mouthless dead that help in this endeavor of preventing war as they remind us in just that way that good poetry does via the woe-wow of the costs and the needlessness of young men in their prime dying and being maimed. On the last episode, I flexed and promised to only read poems that provide uplift. And here I go talking death and violence and tragedy and young men dying in their prime and repeating now for the sixth time, quote, millions of the mouthless dead. Um, where's the uplift, you may be asking? Super valid question. My answer lies in respect and gratitude. As the master poet Jane Kenyon wrote in her poem, Otherwise, that was featured on season one, episode three of this pod, quote, I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. And for many, it has been otherwise, and through no fault of their own, but rather a landmine or some other weapon of war meant to cripple and kill. Imagine, just for a couple brief seconds, having to, say, limp in pain for the rest of your life from a war wound when you know it could have been otherwise. And our poet Charles Sorley, I'm sure, would have much preferred to simply not get shot in the head in a battle and instead live and grow old. Where was I? Oh yeah, I was talking about the worst tragedy and heartbreak that can exist, and that this ironically can be a source of gratitude in my own life for simply not having to endure something so many humans before me have had to. And two, for those who literally gave up their lives in war so that we would live free and in peace. Hashtag eternal respect. This is real privilege, and its realization brings me stubborn gratitude. These are not new thoughts, but may they be repeated again and again and effectively, and in part via poems like the one read and heard today. So they sink in or stay sunk in to those of us who walk light and free upon days of peace, paved with millions of the mouthless dead, evermore, evermore, evermore. The poet W.H. Auden claimed that, quote, Poetry makes nothing happen. While this may be hyperbolic to make a point, it rings true in the world of politics and power and speaks to the limits of poetry's influence. Indeed, while I would be happy if it did, I don't think this podcast will stop any wars on its own. And the truth is, I wonder some days if I'm wasting my time writing poetry. I mean, modern poetry, bro, like the stuff I usually don't understand at all and doesn't rhyme anymore? That stuff? No, not that stuff. That's why I'm writing broetry. But we digress. Yet still, I push on in part because I know that poetry does matter and it is important. The second poem today, titled Solidarity, gives real world evidence to support this belief of mine. I write about an actual and real time in World War II when reading and broadcasting poetry was deemed so important 
that it was worth the risk of death. The poem is ten lines and rhymes. Solidarity. The Poles played poetry through radio. After the war's news as their foe, searched for the frequency's source of the poetry's sound and force that was worth the risk of deathly violence brought by detection or through silence. For they knew we may not need poetry to live, but to win and be free, we need its key to hold back the woe, be they Nazis or our current foe. What is worth actually fighting and dying for?